This is July 19, and every day is a holiday with Mary Stone. This is our podcast celebrating every day of everyone's life. Our message is simple, and it is that we are all of one spirit. What does that mean? The statement that we are all of one spirit disallows the fear-based idea that in order for me to be right, you must be wrong. We are all of one spirit. Holidays, holy days, happy days. We celebrate life, love, loss, and legacy. This is our Commonwealth. On this day in 1701, representatives of the Iroquois Confederacy signed the Nanfan Treaty, ceding a large territory north of the Ohio River to England. The history of the Iroquois Confederacy goes back to its formation by the Great Peacemaker in 1142, bringing together five distinct nations in the southern Great Lakes area into the Great League of Peace. Each nation within the Iroquoian family had a distinct language, territory, and in function in the League. Iroquois influence extended into present-day Canada, westward along the Great Lakes, and down both sides of the Allegheny Mountains into present-day Virginia and Kentucky, and into the Ohio Valley. The League is governed by a Grand Council, an assembly of 50 chiefs, or sachems, each representing one of the clans of one of the nations. The original Iroquois League, as the French knew them, or Five Nations, as the British knew them, occupied large areas of present-day New York State up to the St. Lawrence River, west of the Hudson River, and south into northwestern Pennsylvania. The League was composed of the Mohawk, Oneida, Onongata, Cayuga, and Seneca Nations. In, or close to 1722, the Tuscarora tribe joined the League having migrated from the Carolinas after being displaced by Anglo-European settlements. Also, an Iroquoian-speaking people, the Tuscarora, were accepted into what became the Six Nations. Other Iroquoian-speaking people, such as the Erie, Susquehannock, Huron, Wyandotte, lived at various times along the St. Lawrence River, and around the Great Lakes. In the American Southeast, the Cherokee were an Iroquoian language people who had migrated to that area centuries before European contact. None of these were part of the Haudenosaunee. Those on the borders of their territory in the Great Lakes region competed and warred with the Haudenosaunee. The Iroquois and most Iroquoian peoples have a matrilineal kinship system, with descent and inheritance passing through the maternal lines. Children are considered born into their mother's clan and take their social status from her family. The clan mothers, the elder women of each clan, are highly respected. The women elders nominate the chief for life from the clan and own the symbols of his office. When Europeans first arrived in North America, the Haudenosaunee were based in what is now known as Northeastern United States, 
primarily what is referred to today as central New York, west of the Hudson River through the Finger Lakes region. In upstate New York, along the St. Lawrence River, area downstream to today's Montreal. French, Dutch, and British colonists in both Canada and the 13 colonies recognized the need to gain favor with the Iroquois people, who occupied a significant portion of lands west of colonial sediments. In addition, these peoples established lucrative fur trading with the Iroquois, which was favorable to both sides. The colonists also sought to establish positive relations to secure their borders. For nearly 200 years, the Iroquois were a powerful factor in North American colonial policy-making decisions. Alignment with Iroquois offered a political and strategic advantages to the colonies, but the Iroquois preserved considerable independence. Some of their people settled in mission villages along the St. Lawrence River becoming more closely tied to the French. While they participated in French raids on Dutch and later English settlements, where some Mohawk and other Iroquois settled, in general, the Iroquois resisted attacking their own peoples. The Iroquois remained a politically unique, undivided, large Native American polity up until the American Revolution. The League kept its treaty promises to the British Crown, but when the British were defeated, they ceded the Iroquois territory without consultation. Many Iroquois had to abandon their lands in the Mohawk Valley and elsewhere and relocate in the northern lands retained by the British. The Iroquois League has also been known as the Iroquois Confederacy. Modern scholars distinguish between the League and the Confederacy. According to this interpretation of the scholars, the Iroquois League refers to the ceremonial and cultural institution embodied in the Grand Council, while the Iroquois Confederacy is the decentralized political and diplomatic entity that emerged in response to European colonization. Clear as mud, huh? According to that theory, the League still exists. The Confederacy dissolved after the defeat of the British and allied Iroquois nations in the American Revolutionary War. Today's Iroquois Six Nations people do not make any distinction between the League and the Confederacy and use the terms interchangeably. After the defeat of the British and their Iroquois allies in the American Revolutionary War, Britain ceded most of the Iroquois territory without bringing their allies to the negotiating table. Many of the Iroquois migrated to Canada, forced out of the New York area because of hostility to the British allies. Those remaining in New York were required to live mostly on reservations. In 1784, a total of 6,000 Iroquois had to confront 240,000 New Yorkers with land-hungry New Englanders poised to migrate west. Oneidas alone, who were only 600 strong, owned 6 million acres, or about 2.4 million hectares. Iroquois was a land rush waiting to happen. In addition to the major sessions of the Iroquois land, the Oneida and others who gained reservations in New York faced increasing pressures for their lands. 
By the War of 1812, they had lost control of considerable property. On this day, in 1848, at the Wesleyan Chapel in Seneca Falls, New York, a Women's Rights Convention, the first ever held in the United States, convenes with almost 200 women in attendance. The convention was organized by Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, two abolitionists who met at the 1840 Ant World Anti-Slavery Convention in London. As women, Mott and Stanton were barred from the convention floor, and the common indignation that this aroused in both of them was the impetus for their founding of the women's rights movement in the United States. In 1848, at Stanton's home near Seneca Falls, the two women, working with Martha Wright, Mary Ann McClintock, and Jane Hunt, sent out a call for women's conferences to be held at Seneca Falls. The announcement, published in the Seneca County Courier on July 14, read, a convention to discuss the social, civil, and religious conditions and rights of women will be held in the Wesleyan Chapel at Seneca Falls, New York, on Wednesday and Thursday, the 19th and 20th of July, current, commencing at 10 o'clock a.m. During the first day, the meeting will be exclusively for women who are earnestly invited to attend. The public generally are invited to be present on the second day, when Lucretia Mott of Philadelphia and other ladies and gentlemen will address the convention. On July 19th, 200 women did convene at the Wesleyan Chapel, and Stanton read the Declaration of Sentiments and Grievances, a treaty that she had drafted over the previous few days. Stanton's declaration was modeled closely on the Declaration of Independence, and its preamble featured the proclamation, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. The Declaration of Sentiments and Grievances then detailed the injustices inflicted upon women in the United States and called upon U.S. women to organize and petition for their rights. On the second day of the convention, men were invited to attend, and some 40 brave souls did, including the famous African-American abolitionist Frederick Douglass. That day, the Declaration of Sentiments and Grievances was adopted and signed by the Assembly. The convention also passed 12 resolutions, 11 unanimously, which call for specific equal rights for women. The ninth resolution, which declared it is the duty of women in this country to secure to themselves their sacred right to the elective franchise, was the only one to meet any opposition. After a lengthy debate, in which Douglas sided with Stanton in arguing the importance of female enfranchisement, the resolution was passed. For proclaiming a woman's right to vote, the Seneca Falls Convention was subjected to public ridicule and some backers of women's rights withdrew their support. However, the resolution marked the beginning of the women's suffrage movement in America. The Seneca Falls Convention was followed two weeks later by an even larger meeting in Rochester, New York. Thereafter, national women's rights conventions were held annually, providing an important focus for the growing women's suffrage movement. 
After years of struggle, the 19th Amendment was adopted in 1920, granting American women the constitutionally protected right to vote. There is always a holiday somewhere on this planet. Find a reason for joy and share it, why don't you? Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Mary Stone, the Irreverent Reverend, with my writing partner, the Holy Mess, and Holy Nice, Brian O'Malley.